you're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Welcome back to The Way Home Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today. We are grateful for everybody who listens in, whether uh, you are on your way to dropping your kids off at school or out and about doing exercise or chores or whatever you're doing, whatever occupies your time and allows you to download this podcast and listen. We're thankful for every listener. And if you like the show, we just want to encourage you to rate and review it at iTunes. Uh, That just helps get the word out to others or share what you liked about this show on social media. Today, we have a great guest in store for you, Alyssa Childers. Alyssa has a fantastic story. Uh, She grew up uh, in the church. She was part of the popular contemporary Christian group, Zoe Girl, and toured around the country at churches and concert venues for a long time. She had a period in her life where she was doubting the central claims of Christianity, a period of wrestling. And she has a new book about it called Another Gospel. And this book really walks through some of the questions she had and how she found answers that solidified her faith in the core doc teachings of the Christian faith. She also takes on what she calls progressive Christianity, a kind of Christianity that casts doubt on things like the virgin birth, the inspiration of scripture, and some core teachings like that that are central to what we believe as Christians. It's a very good book that I highly recommend pastors and church leaders get for their people. She's very, writes in a very readable, understanding way, and yet I think is courageous in that she takes on some of the false teaching that is out there that some Christians are tempted to believe. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Alyssa Childers. I'm glad to have Alyssa Childers here back on the podcast. Alyssa, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Good good to be with you again, Dan. Thanks. Wanted to have you on because you have a, a brand new book that I think is very important and interesting. It's really dealing with, I think, a lot of the sort of lies and, and ways that people are formed and shaped by the world around them in ways they don't think. The book is Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. So first of all, Alyssa, maybe just share a little bit of like what motivated you to write this this book. What, what were you seeing and what was kind of on your heart that said, I really feel like this is a a problem to be addressed. Right. Well, this is this book came about in a sort of different type of way than I think books typically come about cuz you know, typically somebody will write a book and then they'll go talk about the book, right? They'll do conferences or maybe give lectures or something. But this book actually was born out of a talk that I've been giving at women's conferences for a few years now. And mm-hmm. the talk was called Pretty Little Lies, and it was basically addressing all of these slogany kind of uh, ideas that we're getting from culture that, that, you know, in some ways bled through into Christian materials as well. Things that really, I think it all comes down to 
do we think we're sinners or not, right? Because all of these messages are like, follow your heart. You're perfect just as you are. You are enough. You only have one life. You should put yourself first. These these types of ideas, you, you know, you're in complete control of your own destiny. There's nothing outside of yourself that you need to complete you or to help you. And, you know, these ideas are deeply anti-Christian, but they sound good. And so I think that's why uh, a lot of Christians have been confused about them. So I got such a good response from giving the talk that we thought, what a great idea to just turn this into a book, but don't just focus on women, but really focus on all the lies that are coming at all of us as men and women. And so, uh, of course, we couldn't hit every single one of them, but they're really the lies that make us essentially end up worshiping ourselves rather than worshiping God. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think about this in a couple of ways. I mean, one, we're surrounded by messages like every day because, you know, we may go to church and we have an hour of preaching. Maybe we go to small group. We have another more teaching there. But then throughout the week, we're bombarded if, you know, if we choose to be through, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, social media, maybe we watch TV, cable news, daytime talk shows, podcasts, whatever. There's there's so many ways to be shaped. And I wonder if people understand the subtle way in, in which they're being formed and shaped mm. and, and effectually disciple. So talk about the age in which we live in, in, in the sense that even Christians who are church-going Christians can be maybe subconsciously being discipled towards something other than Christ. Yeah. Well, I think that these messages are so confusing because, like, take the idea of authenticity. Mm-hmm. I think properly defined, we all want to be authentic. In fact, I think Christians could use being a little more authentic. You know, nobody wants to arrive to church on Sunday and feel like they have to put a fake mask on and pretend that everything's great when it's not. So in the, in, in some sense, this idea of the world saying, you know, we, we are for authenticity, we want that. As Christians, we can say, yeah, properly defined, we agree. We, we should be open and honest with our brothers and sisters in Christ that we're walking through life with about our sin struggles. We can keep each other accountable and and support each other and pray for each other and all of those good things. But the problem is, is that the culture has redefined a lot of these words. So when in culture, when we hear the word authenticity, it doesn't just mean being real or being genuine. It actually means that you are supposed to sort of dig down into your heart, figure out who you are identify yourself and then every and then everybody else has to affirm that. And the problem with that is that as Christians we know that we have a sinful nature. We know that we were born with this bent towards sin. So our hearts don't always lead us into truth, right? They don't always lead us into the right places. So we don't always self-diagnose in the best possible way because our hearts are not fully aligned with truth always. I think as Christians, that's a process of sanctification that we go through, you know, throughout our whole lives. But with the world saying, you know, whatever you find in there is perfect. You just need to unleash it. You just need to let it out, let out your inner goddess, live untamed, all of those messages. And the problem with that, though, is that we are sinners. And so if we don't Mm -hmm. have the saving work of Jesus in our lives, if we haven't submitted ourselves to him, then what we're going to unleash is going to actually be harmful to people. It's going to hurt people. It's going to hurt us. And so, but I get why it's so, it's so tempting to fall for them because it sounds good, right? If somebody's having a hard day, they're going through a hard time. You want to say, look, you're enough. 
for yourself. You don't need anything outside yourself. Just dig down in there and, and, and follow mm-hmm. what your heart tells you. I get why that sounds good, but I think we need to think it through a little further and, and kind of follow that rabbit, rabbit trail where it leads, which is ultimately in many cases to destruction because our hearts uh, are deceitfully wicked, as the Bible tells us. Yeah, and they, they lie to us. I think about Carl Truman's work on the rise and triumph of the modern self and his, uh, his, yes. his shorter version called Strange New World. And one of the things that I think is going on here is this kind of expressive individualism that the era in which we live, this digital age where it's anybody could publish whenever they want. There, There's such incentive to sort of cast yourself as a hero or to make yourself the center of the story. It's very easy to do that. So we, we really had to fight that, you know, as, as Christians, it seemed like it does seem like there are versions of these things that are true, yeah. like the lies that you talk about prey on something that's true. So when I think about a message like you're enough, in some ways, isn't that true? If you think about in the context of, you know, our standing before Christ, that we don't have to perform, that he does right. love us for who we are, not who for who we think we have to be. Mm-hmm. But that's that's radically different than this idea of like digging deep into yourself and finding your own resources, which, as you said, leads to destruction or leads to just um, misery. Right. Because you you do dig down deep in your in yourself and find that the, you don't have what it takes. You right. need You know, you need um, you need Christ. I, I also think, Alyssa, too, that there's a sense of with expressive individualism the sense that we can do it all ourselves instead of this idea that we need a body, we need a community, we need the body of Christ, we're dependent on others. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's a really good point you brought up a minute ago, because when I give the talk, that's one of the things I talk about is like, I'll even make a disclaimer at the beginning, like, look, if you have I am enough tattooed on your arm, like, don't get mad, don't leave. <laughs> like, I get it, right? Because some of the, the reasons these lies are so slippery is because you really can interpret them through different filters. Mm-hmm. So if you interpret I you are enough through the filter of knowing you're a sinner, and it's really Christ that gives you your your value and it's who you are in him and then his enoughness you know gets put on you and so in the eyes of god you mm-hmm. are enough because of the righteousness of jesus you kind of get how if you hear it through that lens it makes sense but then you got to look at what the world means but yeah this expressive individualism is a is a really huge i, I i'm glad you brought up carl truman's work because i'm um, I'm about halfway got, halfway through the first one, and I'm almost through the easier version. <laughs> I decided to just pick up the the lay yeah. version on that one, but yeah, it's just fascinating tracing through history and psychology and how we've gotten to the point where we really do just think that whatever we're going to find inside is going to be good, so we just need to affirm it. I think that's kind of the the main point that all of these lies converge on, because. Yes, in Christ. I mean, think about the doctrine of the Imago Dei. Every human mm-hmm. being who's ever been born has been made in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, has inherent dignity and value and worth. You know, we are God's creations made in his image. But I think what the distinction between the truth part and the lie part is that in the eyes of the world, they skip the fall part. <laughs> so we have this Imago Dei, but then there's a but, you know, but we have all distorted that image in one way or another through sin. And that's the part that the culture skips. And I think that as Christians, when we can realign with understanding how that works, then we can more properly align ourselves with truth and then not fall for the way that the world is talking about these things and and sort of identifying 
how we should be as humans. Yeah, and I think when you think about the Imago Dei, you're thinking about Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, as you say. You know, we need both. But also, not even just Genesis 3, but the the idea that Christ is renewing and restoring our humanity. And he's Mm -hmm. he's renewing all things. And so, we're fallen creatures, but we're also being renewed and restored in the image of God. Talk about some other lies that people are tempted to believe that that might be, you know, uh, toxic to our spirituality. I, I think one of the main ones is the idea that, you know, God just wants you to be happy. And and if you're happy, he's happy. And I think even as parents, we can fall into this trap. It's like we think, well, I just want my kids to be happy. Whatever's going to make them happy, I want them to pursue and follow their dreams and all of these things. And I'm not saying it's wrong to follow your dreams if you're if it's a good dream, if it's a righteous dream, right? But I think that we we sort of have to reorient ourselves around this idea that we may not get happiness on this earth. We may not get justice on this earth. And one of the places where this really stood out to me, and I write about this in the final chapter of the book, is when I had the really rare privilege of visiting a a women's prison in Ecuador. And typically they did not let Americans in, they didn't let groups in, but because there had been a missionary that had been working with the prison for many years and they trusted her, they let a very small group of us in. And what I saw was, uh, you know, you think of American prisons where people get meals and uh, a bed to sleep in, and this was not like American prisons. If you want a bed, you have to you have to provide one for yourself. If you want food, you have mm-hmm. to provide that for yourself. So when we arrived at the prison, there was a long line of men carrying bags of oranges and um, feminine hygiene products. And I thought it was curious when I was walking in why there were so many men. And then I realized once I got inside, well, a lot of these women are prostituting themselves just for food or for, you know, um, hygiene products and things like that. And so it was a really desperate place. And you could walk, but you walked by all the women and, and their faces were so downcast. And But then I walked into a room where I was going to be meeting with the the Christians And I walked in and I saw this room full of smiling women who were so filled with joy and peace. And and they were in the prison as well. And by the way, a lot of these women were framed. I don't know if everybody's seen Broke Down Palace, that old movie where they get kind of the people put the drugs in the thing that that happens and then they don't get a fair trial. So a lot of this stuff is going on. But they had so much joy and peace, more joy and peace than I think I've ever known. And what I realized in that moment is that if we're just pursuing happiness on earth in the temporary things, we're going to really miss a greater gift because for many of these women, they don't, they're not going to get justice. They're, so they, they've got to figure out a way to be satisfied in Christ. And it was so overwhelming to me, just their joy and their maturity in the Lord. And so I, I have a whole chapter about that where it's like, mining the the beauty of the sufferings that God gives us. And for many of us here in, you know, in the West, those sufferings are small in comparison to what people are going through in other places. But just seeing somebody who really would have every reason to turn their back on God, hate God, and hate their life, I saw more joy than I've ever seen. And so that, that really struck me. And, and I write about that and really highlight All throughout history, people have been through really horrific things, but have relied on the Lord. And then all of them with the testimony of having a deeper relationship with him after that. Mm, That's really good. I mean, you know, if you have a full understanding of, you know, Christian hope, you know, and eschatology that Christ is going to renew and restore all things at the end of the age. Yes. It frees you from the sort of anxiousness about not getting everything we want here, you know. Um, I, I think, too, Alyssa, sometimes our activism 
can be like that, where we're rightly attuned to the injustices of the world that we see around us. And I think social media in this digital age make us more aware than we've ever been about every single injustice mm. in the world. And we want to, we want to change the world. We want to do our part to love our neighbor. And I think that's good, but without a sort of robust Christian view of the end of the age of, uh, of Christian theology, you can get into this frustrating cycle of I'm never doing mm. enough. I'm, I've, I've got to bear all this. I got to change the world. And it almost becomes what I've noticed with a lot of folks on all sides is that when their activism becomes, it starts to become less about the people we're supposed to be, mm. the vulnerable people we're supposed to be speaking up for and more about kind of our own self-actualization, self-righteousness, you know, wanting to be seen as on the right side of things and wanting to be seen with the right people and all that stuff. And, and, and I think I see a lot of that in sort of the um, the Christian world, the sort of influencer world, whether it's Instagram or like, you know, th those kinds of spaces where there's just a constant need to constantly tell everybody that you're on the right side of things, that you're for the right causes. Yeah. That could be exhausting and, and, and discouraging as well, can it not? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the the whole virtue signal type of tribalism, really, that I think we mm -hmm. see is and, and it's on both sides. I mean, I, I think every single person on any side of it can look in the square in the mirror and say, OK, I need to evaluate myself on this. And that's why I really think that that is a huge huge problem with social media. In fact, in the beginning of the book, I talk about the Tower of Babel and I and I essentially I, I wish I would have thought of this myself. It was actually my literary agent who had this idea and he's like, you gotta put this in the book. But it's the idea that we've recreated the Tower of Babel. Mm. Right? We've we've recreated digitally sort of what they created back then where the world now speaks one language and you can see why that's not always such a good thing, you know? It's, uh, I tell the story of when my kids got together and they were real quiet and they were, I thought, man, I've got like 10 minutes all to myself. They're, they're just off doing something quietly. Well, they were, you know, literally covering themselves in paint that was dripping onto the carpet and everything else. So I had to separate them, you know, be like, that, that's not a good kind of unity. So I think that, yeah, it's very, it's harder than ever, I think, to keep focused on truth. Because there are so many lies, not just the slogany kind of lies, but even you, nobody knows who they can trust for news. Nobody knows who they can trust for to know even what's happening in the world. And everything has become so polarized and, and nobody, you know, it's like the, this mistrust of everything. And, and I, I talk about that in the book too, that we as Christians more than ever need to be recommitted to biblical authority and say, look, what the Bible says goes, no matter what culture, culture does. And sometimes it might align more than other times, and sometimes it's going to be really out of fashion, but we're going to plant our truth, our, our feet on, on the truth of God's word because, first of all, because it's true, but also because who wants to have to check Twitter every five minutes to find out what you're supposed to think, you know, be, and mm. then you get canceled for what you thought five minutes ago, but everybody thought that five minutes <laughs> ago, but they didn't, you know, you didn't delete it fast enough or something. It's just, you know, constantly changing in culture. And so my hope with this book, too, is to give Christians a real sense of stability and courage to say, look, I'm going to stand for biblical truth no matter who says what, no matter even my, these people might be my heroes, have been my heroes for 10 years that are starting to say a different message. And I'm going to stand, but I'm going to stay with the Bible. I'm going to stick with, with God's revealed word in my life. 
Mm. It does seem like also there has to be an intentionality to be committed to the spiritual disciplines and committed to spiritual formation and discipleship because otherwise we you know we're we're going to be discipled we're going to be catechized we're going to be formed it's just a matter of what is shaping and forming us right absolutely and so i think i think i think a lot of folks just sort of are like ephesians where it's like you're tossing to and fro you know and and not being intentional about that what are some other lies besides the ones we talked about that that you think are especially pernicious Well, let's see here. One of the lies that I have in the book is you should put yourself first because this is Mm. a big message in the kind of Christian-ish self-help. And I say ish because it's really more coming from the progressive Christianity side of things. But uh, Mm. this idea that, uh, you know, there's a quote that I have in the book from one of of those self-help-ish books where it's, you should be the hero of your own story. And that Mm. really stood out to me because it's like, I mean, I think about I think about Iron Man, right? In the the Marvel, in this you know big spoiler if nobody's seen the final Avengers, but you know Iron Man gives his life for the world. Essentially, he saves the world by giving his life. Now, he's he's smart. He's the best inventor. I mean, he's got all the money. I mean, if anybody should survive this to help the world rebuild, it should be Tony Stark, right? But he gives his life and. I think about what what kind of a lame movie would it be if at the end Tony Stark's like, you know what, Spider-Man, I'm going to let you uh, or whoever was there. I forget who had died already. who hadn't, But, you know, I'm going to let you do this because I've got work to do to rebuild. And I got, you know, I've got to pursue my dreams and I've got all these things to do. So I'm going to let somebody else do this. Well, nobody would like that movie because deep down we all know that it is virtuous to put others first. Uh, but this is a message that gets radically countered by a lot of these self-helpish kind of books that are aimed at Christians where they're saying, no, like even to be a good mother, uh, you have to put yourself first and you have to model for your kids. I mean, this is the twist on it. There are books that will tell you, you have to model for your kids what it looks like to follow your dreams. And if that means, you know, getting a divorce, then you need to model that mm-hmm. for your kids and be a good mom. If that means, uh, you know pursuing your most authentic self, whatever that might mean, then then that's what you need to model for your kids. So in the name of even being a good mother, you should pursue these other things. And that's a that's that's a message that our kids are going to be paying the bills for for a long time. And I think that you know we haven't seen the fallout from that type of a message yet, but it's it's a very 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 unbiblical and anti-biblical message that we should put ourselves first. I mean, just think about all the times in the Bible that talks about serving others and even the last will be first, the first will be last. And uh, of course, my son, he cracks me up when I'll say, you know, hey, if, if you go last, then, you know, the, the first will be last. And he goes, but if I go last, then I'll be first, which means I'll end up last. <laughs> I'm like, wow, <laughs> that is... <laughs> That is that is an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my my son will do that too because we have three girls and a and a boy, and you know my my wife is always saying, "Hey, you should you know the first will be last," and he's like doing the math and and all that stuff like your son did. I think you're 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 so right about that. I mean, f- think of just like the um, the abortion debate, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many messages come from the the pro abortion side that really are, are essentially, you know, uh, I've seen. Even, you know, famous women saying, you know, I had to have an abortion, otherwise I couldn't have my career. I had to have an abortion. I had to kill this baby because 
it was in the way the baby was in the way of my dreams. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of the message being sent uh, yes. subtly th- through some of that. So we are reaping some of the wreckage of, of, of some of those things. I want to I want to ask you as a parent, you know, what advice do you give to parents as, as you know, our kids are growing up in an age that's much different than when we grew up in terms of there's so many influencers, there's so many messages around them. You know, on the one hand, we need to really be careful with the things that, that are forming their minds. On the other hand, you know, they're living in 2022. They're not living in 1950. So how do we prepare them right. for life in this world? What is, what's some advice that you have and that you try to practice and advice that you give? Yeah. Well, so just to preface this question, I will tell you, my kids are almost 14 and 11. So we're in it with everybody. I'm no, I'm mm-hmm. certainly not an expert who's come out on the other side saying, hey, this worked and everybody do this. But we have been trying to be very intentional and thoughtful with how we disciple our kids with all of that. And for example, it used to be in my house, my daughter would say, when when can I get an iPhone? And I would say, when you're when you have a job and you buy one for yourself as an adult, you know, that was like where I was approaching it. But then I realized, well, goodness, I have a short amount of time in the time that she's in our home to actually teach her how to use this thing, right? And so mm-hmm. at a certain point, we were like, okay, well, maybe we will go ahead and introduce the iPhone and then slowly, you know, ease ease her into teaching her really how to handle this potentially disastrous thing, but also something that could be used for great good too. And so, you know, we've made adjustments along the way, but I think that, I think the best thing we can do with our kids is be honest. I have friends uh, over at Maven Ministries, Brett and Aaron Kunkel, they give the best parenting advice on this. And I have followed this so many times where, you know, all of us, we can, we start, you know, we make our screen rolls and then we break those rules and we get into bad habits. But you know what a great opportunity to get all your kids together and say, guys, we need a reset. Look, we've we've kind of fallen into bad habits as a family. Let's mm-hmm. let's reset right now. And just to continually model like it's not too late just because you kind of slip into bad habits to to go back and have a reset and even bring your kids into the difficulty that it is to be a parent in this age. Um, you know, to even say, look, we've we're in a tough spot here where this is this is what's happening in the world. I know all your friends are doing X Y and Z, uh, you know, it's a tough spot for us, and we're, we really want to do the right thing. So we're praying, and, and we want to be led by the Lord to disciple you in the right way. We're probably not always going to get it right, but I have found that that kind of approach it mm. has been very fruitful. And also, this would be my other advice that has really, I think, proven to be very fruitful, and that's as, as counterintuitive as this is for a lot of Christian parents, be the one to introduce the tough topics to your kids, whether it's mm, sexuality absolutely. issues. I mean, my daughter was eight years old. I, I introduced those topics to her because she was very mature for her age anyway. I'm so glad I did that because now whenever she encounters that in college, because that that line of communication was open so early, uh, she'll say, hey, mom, I saw this thing or my, you know, my friend said this. And and then I, we can talk through well, what did you say? And sh- and then she'll say, do you think I did the right thing? And we'll talk it through. Well, what do you think? And do you, how might you approach that better next time? Or actually, I think you did pretty good. I, I don't know that I could have done better. And just walking through these very specific scenarios, because honestly, for our kids, it's the pronoun thing. That's the toughest mm-hmm. battle they have is because, you know, for their generation, that's a sign of respect. It's like, um, you know, to be mm-hmm. asked your pronouns or to affirm someone else's pronouns. 
it's 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 really taboo to not do that. And so that's like boots on the ground, what they're dealing with. And we have got to help them through that, you know, even though we didn't really have to go through that as kids. But. They're just, it's, it's a tough time to be a teenager, that's for sure. That, that, that's really great advice. You know, we, we kind of landed in a similar place, particularly with, with phones, you know, where I, I realized it's almost like a car where, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're kind of, the car could be used for great good or great ill. And it was up to us to kind of teach our kids how to drive and stuff. So my oldest is 17. But I kind of feel that way about the phone that if you slowly introduce it and teach them how to use it and use it well, yeah. Because they're they are going to go whether we like it or not they're they're going to go graduate into a world that this is the world we live in so yeah how how do we live now and I'm really encouraged by what you said I I think the intentionality that you said about teaching our kids and discipling them and not letting them be formed by the messages around them I am encouraged though you know I, I just spoke at a a camp with like you know 1400 kids and we talked about these tough issues sexuality and gender and I did tell them. You know, you're going to have to be more courageous in your generation than than we were in ours mm-hmm. on these things. Yeah. And yet I found that kids understood that to be a Christian means I'm at some point at some level means I'm going to be against the world. I mean, there's there's things that I'm going to yeah. believe and practice that is not going to be accepted by the culture. And I think under, our, them understanding that was really important. So I came away encouraged on that. But really great advice. I want to encourage folks to get your your great new book live your truth and other lies from Alyssa Childers it's published by Tyndale Alyssa thank you for joining me today I really appreciate it and thank you for your voice on these issues I want to encourage folks to listen to your podcast and get your great book we'll have links in the show notes thanks for joining me today I appreciate it oh thanks so much it was fun Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. <music>